Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning. It's Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing, and I'm delighted that finally my guest today is Lisa S. Jones, CEO of iMail. Lisa, welcome, and I'm so glad we finally get to have this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to our time together for quite a while, so I'm glad the day has arrived. Yeehaw. So yeah. so let's start or in people for starters, let's talk about you and then we'll talk about your company. You you've done so many things, including NASA. Like I get an actual rocket scientist on the <laughs> <laughs> on the conversation. Uh how did you end up give us the short path to CEO of iMill and founder, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. So my background starts, I'm originally from Montgomery, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And um, in college, I majored in logistics and procurement. I've always been fascinated with processes, how things work, what is the why, what is the how. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so after I majored in logistics and procurement, I had an opportunity to work at, uh, to start my career at NASA. I also was accepted into the FBI, but I turned that particular position down. I guess it goes back to that whole uh, question part of why things happen. What if this, what if that? But I was accepted, but I turned that down and I decided to go with NASA for my first career move. Okay. And in that move, I was um, able to, I was a logistics director responsible for space shuttle parts for missions that would go up to maintain inventory levels. Uh And I thought my career was going, I was going to retire my career there. But I always knew within me there was an entrepreneur somewhere, but she was just kind of hiding from me at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to make a shift and move to Atlanta, Georgia, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the mid-90s. And I've been here ever since in Atlanta. And in Atlanta, I was a corporate executive uh, at the telecom industry for Bell South Mobility, Singular Wireless, and then um, AT&T. And I had the opportunity to work with women and diverse suppliers to look at contract opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all of that, I decided that it was time for me to uh, try something different again. And sometimes things in life happen where you become an entrepreneur or your life is just redefined based on certain instances. And in my instance, Matthew, what happened is um, my oldest sister, I have two older sisters, and she called me one morning. It was about 824 in the morning. She advised me that my mother had passed away at home alone at the age of 61. Wow. Wow. In Alabama. So I remember how that one moment in life made me stop, right? To reevaluate what's my, what is Lisa's journey going to look like for it? What does Lisa want to do? What would my mother want me to do um, and live in my best life? Yeah. And I just remember when I went to her services, they lasted, it seemed to me like for seven minutes. This is this is the true story. And I always tell this story because it's so important to knowing how you never know how your beginning is going to start. But I remember, Matthew, um, it was a graveside funeral and the services lasted seven minutes. And I was thinking I was going to get up and speak 
I wasn't on the agenda, but in my mind, I was going to speak. And um, when the time came, I did not get up to speak. And so as people were going back to their cars, I remember praying and I said, I said, mom, I'm so sorry. I didn't get a chance to get up and speak. But when I get back to Atlanta, I promise I'm going to start a company. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be to create a legacy. And it's going to be to make up for those seven minutes of time. Um, because everybody deserves to be heard and, and to have a communication that's important. And I thought about how one communication changed my life. So when I came back to Atlanta, I started thinking about how we communicate mm-hmm. in, in verbal, nonverbal, in writing. And I said, what else do we do uh, to communicate? And I said, we email people. Well, who do we email? Internal, external, one click okay. anywhere in the world. And from yeah. that, email was born. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you, I had read, and and that's a wonderful story, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing it. Yeah, that's a uh, sixty-one. Sixty-one. Like, I, I can see home. sixty-one. Like I, I, it's right over the hill there, oh. and not supposed to go away quite that early yet. So that had exactly. to be exactly big exactly. jog. So it's a matter of defining defining your life and thinking about that. And one of the things that I did when I came back to Atlanta, I um I signed up for a hundred and fifty email distribution list. It didn't matter if it was anybody. I mean, Walmart, MBA, Home Depot, everybody. And what I noticed, there was a commonality. The commonality was I didn't feel inspired to take a click for a call to action. And it was either a graphic or a hyperlink. And I said to myself, self, what if you could bring email to life? What if you could add a video experience for instant play? So as soon as someone opens, the video plays on mute, mm-hmm. um, but they're engaged. Now they're inspired to take a, an immediate call to action. And then right. I was born. Right. Okay. I, uh, wow. Yeah. Good. Good for you. And, and <laughs> way, way overdue. <laughs> Is that for a succinct way to put it? Right. I mean, Talk about the 150 emails for a second. Do you think if you looked at 150 today, when was it that you started iMail? I started iMail officially in 2004. 2004. Do you think if you looked at 150 emails today, they'd look a whole lot different? Not a whole lot different. Not a whole lot different. I, I, I would just My say, reaction. <laughs> but you know, when you remember back in the early 2000s, what used to happen was it was strictly just a hyperlink. Mm-hmm. Like you would just yeah. click and you would go from the hyperlink. You didn't even have an image back then on some of them, right? Most so them now are. you might have an image or a thumbnail, and then you might even have a play button on it now, right? Yeah. Or you might have a three-second GIF that loops potentially, but it's not much change, really. Yeah, yeah, it's not not much change. And and uh, email, um, you know, emails, emails. It's been around a long time. The technical standards. Uh, that that all email platforms have in common are they're twenty plus years old, right? You know, email HTML. I always make this joke. Email HTML is like it's nostalgic for me. It's like when we first started doing web pages in the nineties because it's still the same set of messy, you know, nested tables and stuff like that. And and exactly. the the tool set that you've got on on more modern platforms, it's just not there. It's just not there. And you know, when I first started iMail, when I left NASA, went to Atlanta and started my career in telecom, and then I became an entrepreneur, I was faced with the challenges that said, Lisa, why are you trying really? Why are you really yeah, yeah. focused on this whole video and email? Or 
<clears throat> you know, it doesn't make sense or just stick with your day job. You you have a great <laughs> career. <laughs> but I was compelled to to make a contribution to, yeah. to the global society as a whole because a video and a click to um, anywhere in the world, the idea of that was fascinating to me. And again, yeah. I'm all about processes and how things work. So I was committed to the journey and I'm not, te- I'm not technical, Matthew. That's not my background. I was going to ask you, I was going to drill in on that. So how okay. did you start, how'd you go about learning and figuring this out? Well, as a woman, we focus on a lot of great things that we don't know necessarily, but we are willing to learn and to learn from others mm-hmm. and to explore. Uh, we're willing to, to fail and get back up and to keep going forward. So for me, challenging myself of saying, I'm not a coder or a developer. How am I going to grow this business? Well, I was fortunate enough to manage technical resources in my career. So I, I've always been a visionary. I knew what I wanted. It was a matter of how to get it done. So when I was going to all these development shops, explaining what I wanted to do, I was faced with that opposition, of course, as I mentioned. And then the eighth development shop, it took me eight good development shops before wow. I got the right one. Yeah. Um, and so I explained what I was seeking to do. And they said, well, we're not sure if we can do it, but we will exhaust every means to accomplish right, that. Right, right. And um, by, I would say by the spring of 2005, okay. we, we had the first model, first version of IML developed. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, it's remarkable to have, have, have one to stuck, stick with it. Congratulations. <laughs> That's not easy. And, it's not and, easy. and to start, start, you know, cracking the code on such a hard, uh, both technical and business problem. Um, in at a relatively early period, you're not talking about 5G in your pocket. You're talking pre-mobile. You're talking uh, pretty pretty sketchy broadband at in 05, right? Exactly. Like the infrastructure that's going to help you now was nowhere nowhere near what it is right then. You're you're totally right, and that was part of the uh, the journey was how do we develop the technical roadmap forward for growth? Um, That was before even the cloud, the the cloud. I mean, everything, right? So one of the aspects that I decided as the founder and chief IML officer was that we wanted the technical leadership. So uh, we became part of Microsoft's uh, mentor-protege program, Okay. part of their women in technology. And we were very fortunate to work in Microsoft's innovation lab so that we could collaborate on IML's roadmap and mm-hmm. some of the nuances. So mm-hmm. one of the areas that we knew were was most important was with regards to bandwidth. We all know with videos, there are issues with sending them out directly because they could be there is a large file size. Mm-hmm. So I knew that with IML, I wanted it to be delivered so that when it reaches your inbox, it's no more than 15 kilobytes kilobytes in size. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. So that was a that was a feat, but we were able to accomplish that so that now whenever an email delivers to your inbox or your customers inboxes, this full video HD experience delivers at only 15 kilobytes in size and we can compress a video that might be 200 or 300 meg in original size yeah. down to that 15 kilobyte stream. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's remarkable. And I I, uh, I, I did a Lisa S. Jones. I did sign up for <laughs> email a couple of weeks ago so that I could so that I could you know get the experience and mm-hmm. see a few of them. Um, the one that uh, the one that really struck me 
It's like, this is amazing. Was the Porsche video. And, and I'll get a te- technical question for you since we get to geek out a little bit. Um, I was viewing that. I, I use lots of email clients. I was viewing that on Gmail and on Gmail, it did the revert to GIF. Is that, is that what I'd expect? Yeah. That's the well, Gmail thing. Gmail, okay. So iMail is designed to work on Outlook, Webmail, uh, all Apple products as well. Yeah. So yeah. In Gmail, the experience is it will deliver and play on that instant play, but yeah. you have to click for the sound. Yeah. And, click we, for the and, sound. and it will play a full 60 second video clip. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, the, in, in terms of technical delivery, you were working on this before HTML5, but I would assume the HTML5 and the video tag is is a fairly was was a nice step forward when that when that started getting ado- adoption. Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. But lucky for us, we had already had the work in with the Microsoft component. We already had clients on board, um, mm-hmm. and for us, the client base started with the enterprise. That was the very first step. Was our first client was. Um, Time Warner with TBS. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, it just grew for for adoption. It went to Coca-Cola from there and then nice. it just kept growing to Porsche. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm blown, I'm blown away at how early you were working on this. Because <laughs> Me too, sometimes I think back on it. I'm like, wow, 2005, like, right. 2004, even it's like, wow, time flies and stand still at the same you know time. You, you know what if i if, <laughs> if i were you i think I t- i'd pat myself on the back when i was introducing the company or or when you're introducing yourself and to explain that you were working on this before youtube bloody existed it's true youtube was not launched yet in 05 this is true good on you right like you were looking at the same sort of the same core problem of uh, really of delivering experience Right. And making email visual, not just text uh, before. Wow. Good on exactly, <laughs> you. It goes back to everyone deserves for their message to be heard. Mm-hmm. And the idea that everyone deserves a visually engaging experience. Yeah. I mean, when we watch TV, not like back in the day, right, with black and white or silent pictures. We used to watch it because that's all we had to watch. But <laughs> even in today's world, even when you think about email, it's a lot of words. It's a lot yeah. of pictures. But where's the where's the content? Well, and and yeah, yeah. Where's the? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Um, because I mean, we're, we have we have a we have a bit of overlap of interest, Lisa and I, in 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 visual communication and media, and trying to drag email. Sometimes it feels like kicking and screaming into being a into being a richer experience. Exactly. Um, I want to bounce this one off you because uh, I, I always beat people over the head with it. Um, uh, Litmus, the company that does uh, that makes yeah uh, that tries to grapple with the mess of email HTML. Litmus keeps an eye on stats. One of the stats being how long people read an email. And last data I looked at from them, I think it was twenty seventeen, maybe twenty nineteen data. Eleven seconds. The average email is read for eleven seconds. And if you multiply out average reading speed, that means thirty three words of your average email are actually read. People are not sitting reading Moby Dick in your, in your <laughs> message. Give me a break, right? And and yet, I don't know if you feel this way, but email marketers like they're kind of hugging the copy, like no, 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 we have to, we have to work on our work on our words. Like people are visual, man. 
Exactly. And when you think about newsletters, to, to me, newsletters are old school it, because they are, you have to keep reading down. You have to go below the fold. You have to keep going down and down and down. Yeah, so yeah. You, you're losing attention every time someone has to keep going below the fold. Yeah. And then you want my eyes to focus on left, right, up, down. It's a lot going on. And so yeah. we found the best models for our clients is to have that main core message for the most part yeah. and then have that call to action button or two to direct them to that next step for a call to action. And yeah. our value proposition is that we're able to drive open rates over uh, 45% in open up and uplift. Awesome. And on click through okay. where industry standards are, let's say what, two, two to 4%, yeah. we're able to drive those numbers up over 25%. In that Porsche example that you saw, um, there was one event where Porsche North America had an event and we were able to create the IML experience for them to encode and compress their video footage and add the IML code. And as a result of sending out the IML version, they were able to close out their event two and a half weeks early because they had exceeded capacity. Wow. And that's, and that's what it's about. We want yeah. people to take an action on our messages for that next step, whatever that next step yeah. might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, marketing sort of caught up with your vision in a sense. Well, not necessarily email marketing and I'm, I don't mean to knock the email folks, but, but I know you've, I know you've had to work to, 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 to become part of the, right. To become part of the ecosystem of email. And I'm going to guess you got told no, and it's impossible or no, it's more about subject lines a few times. Um, marketers now keep talking about the customer experience. And you kept using the word experience, and I couldn't agree more. But reading is not super, it's not a super experience. It's not um, a super experience. And we've got to get, we've, we, you know, if, if email is going to remain competitive, if the numbers are not going to go down below that, like 4% that you mentioned, uh-huh. you've got to be richer, more visual, more experiential. That's my contention. And I think you'd probably agree with me. Yes, I totally agree with you, Matthew. And another aspect of that is that we're always, um, we within the organization, we're always forward thinking and we're all about uh, accessibility and inclusiveness. So as such, we also have a feature on iMail um, that supports the hearing and the visually impaired right. uh, because there are over 285 million people Yep. Uh, around the U.S. that have hearing impaired, you know, issues as well. So we added closed captioning nice. to an email yeah. so that if someone wants to follow the video, <clears throat> but read the tickler instead yeah. as well, that scrolling, we offer that and yeah. it works with screen readers. And so we're passionate about that accessibility and inclusiveness. And we've partnered with the uh, Hearing Loss Association of America and the Helen nice. Keller Yeah. Um, services division as well. And um, yeah, because it's all about what's the next step forward? Yeah. How do you continue to help customers and others have the best experience? Now, is it coincidence, lucky coincidence, I suppose, that that you happen to land in Atlanta when, when you left NASA? Because I think of Atlanta as sort of the, the hub of, of email. There's a ton of email companies specifically <laughs> in that area. Is that Lucky coincidence or well, deliberate on your coincidence because I moved here in the mid nineties. So that okay. it was not even on the radar for me at that juncture. I didn't even realize my life was going to take a love for the yeah. love of email. At yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's good fortune. Cause you got uh message gears, uh, yes. MailChimp. MailChimp. Yeah. 
There's, I mean, the there's, conference was here too. Yep, yep. That's yeah. I think that's yeah, it's coming up again. Yeah, just just a, just a bunch of them, which is nice. And then London yeah. seems to be the other hot spot. And I, I want to dig into why that is, but we'll leave, we'll leave that one aside. <laughs> um, wow, cool. How how's the entrepreneurial like? Put email aside. Building a company, having the vision to do something and to make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. Uh, man, that takes some sand. That takes some persistence. How's talk about your entrepreneurial journey? Were there moments where it was like, God, can I keep doing this? Like, how'd you keep going? How'd you get? How'd you get it to here? You know, so a journey takes turns at any point in time in life, as we know. And so for me, I knew it was going to be a. Um, an adventure, I'll put it that way, and a challenge. Mm-hmm. But I was committed. I was committed since day one, remember, because I made the commitment to my mother. So that was mm-hmm. in the foreground and the background of my mind. I think if it wouldn't have been for that particular incident, I can't say where IML would be right now. Yeah. But I knew that I was so focused on living the dream of making, creating a global product for mass adoption uh, in any language that that was my core focus. And then in the journey of trying to navigate my way through the obstacles of different things, I always one I relied on my faith to know that I may not see that next step forward, mm-hmm. but that I know it's there and I'm still going to step through it, even in fear sometimes just to keep trying. Even Every step counts in the journey. So I would always try to find a way to map that next step or to map that next connection to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... I knew that it was important to build a team mm-hmm. that would all we would collaborate and support each other. So in our case, part of our team, our youngest team member, Matthew, is 23 on the team. And our most senior member is 75. Wow. And is... different parts of the world. So we have team members in Canada, in Pakistan, in India, uh, all over. And I love that. And that inspires me and keeps me going as well. Um, because we believe in diversity and the importance of having all of these wonderful thoughts from different age groups brought together with different experiences, different culture for the benefit of the customer, because mm-hmm. it's all about serving the customer. And the best way we can do that is, is to collaborate. So from the entrepreneurial standpoint, I knew that I wanted a diverse team to keep me inspired as well, um, just to hear others' thoughts. I also knew. Um, as an entrepreneur, that every day wasn't going to be easy. So as a result of that, a lot of people know that I'm a big fan of Rocky Balboa and Sylvester Stallone, for that matter. So if you ever know him, Matthew, send him my way, okay? Because I want to thank him a lot, okay? So, <laughs> I mean, when, he's an entrepreneur, if you think about it. Stallone himself. He really is an entrepreneur of sorts yes. because he put it all on the line to create yes. Rocky. And yes. his, his income was limited and everything. But mm-hmm. and they wanted to put Ryan O'Neill and other actors, Burt Reynolds, to play Rocky. But he held out to want to play his star role of his yeah. movie. Yep, 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 yep. So no, for me, when I see the movie of Rocky and everything with it, uh, it reminds me of my journey of saying that you just need to go for whatever your dream is and not to give up on it. And it's about going the distance for whatever that means to you. For me, it meant I want to make an impact in the universe in email, uh, particularly, mm-hmm. particularly video in email. I wanted to create engaging experiences to, to bring email to life, to bring communications to life. Mm-hmm. And so every time I, I watch a Rocky movie or a scene from Rocky, it inspires me as the entrepreneur mm-hmm. that is within me 
to to fight for it to keep going and you might lose a round but the, you know you're, you're going all the full distance and that's the exciting part to me nice nice yeah it, it's uh it, it really takes it how do i put this watching entrepreneur become not flavor of the month, but sometimes it feels like that. Like it was, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and and those of us who have done that go like, yeah, you know, kid, it's actually not glamorous at times. It's just it's just stick with itness and <laughs> determination, commitment, like the one, you know, the one you made uh walking away from your mom's, you know, funeral. You're like, you got it, you you gotta have a North Star that says, no, 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 we're not done yet. And I'm gonna keep going. And yeah, I know it's steep or hard or whatever, but uh-huh. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And yeah. also to to answer another part of the question, um, you know, how do you stick with it when there are times are difficult or things are not working as well? What I found to be beneficial for me is to have positive images around me. That could be even a quote from Steve Jobs. That could be a photo of Oprah. That could be listening to a podcast with like Guy Raz, how I built this. Um, Staying motivated from that standpoint. I think that maintaining and growing your thought leadership is important. So even for me now in the midst of um, the current climate, I decided that I wanted to continue my education. So I'm enrolled currently at Harvard in marketing as well uh, with an executive education program. And I think that motivates me as well as the entrepreneur within me to learn as much as possible so that I can share that with the team. We grow and then share that with customers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and yeah, that's not, that's not the first MBA for you either. So you've continued to invest in in and make the time, which is hard when you're running a it's company, hard. right? To 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 learn to take a step up. Um, how, how, talk about the Harvard program a bit. Like how this is 2020. I think it said on LinkedIn. You so you've been at this for a bit. Did you start this pre-pandemic? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. No, I started <laughs> uh, last summer. Okay. Last summer, and it's been one of the best. I would say one of the most defining periods of my life. Um, when you think about Harvard and you think about the thought leadership that they have there, the access yeah. to that from people all over the world. So, yeah. of course, everything is virtual online now uh, because of the pandemic. But you have thought leadership from all around the world that are coming together for a particular class to share in the learnings and the teachings. And it's just it's an it's an incredible experience of learning. And yeah. I'm just so I'm I'm a person that celebrates gratitude every morning when I wake up just to say thank you and I get to craft the day of what it's going to be. So in going to class, I am just full of joy because I'm learning new things that give you gives you a different perspective. I've also learned uh, there's a class by uh, Professor Stefan Tomke. And Professor Stefan Tomke teaches disruptive innovation. Mm-hmm. And he teaches about the power of experiments. And he wrote a book about business experiments. And that a lot of us, you know, when you're in corporate or different avenues, you're not necessarily given the right or the freedom to experiment, fail, restart again, develop the next prototype, get faster with it, fail faster, move forward. And I think that's so critical to know that it's okay if everything doesn't work as you expect it. But what's your next part of that experiment of that phase forward for growth? And I, I just... I'm so appreciative for all these lessons that I'm learning in the journey. 
the uh, <clears throat> Harvard's the, I mean, that's the that's the birthplace of disruption and dru- disruptive innovation, right? That's where that's where Christensen was for almost yes. his career. Yeah, so remember the Christensen, right? Yeah, so he's okay. kind of got a lock on that. I, by the way, I I actually had the opportunity to meet Clayton Christensen at a. Oh conference. my gosh! Yeah, because I I like I I poured through his books and and I hardly. I, I'm hard pressed to think of a more influential thinker, but um, was at a conference 20, 20 plus years ago. I'm tall, and I was looking like this. How uh, tall are you? I'm six three. Doctor Christensen was like six eight. Oh wow! <laughs> he was a big, and he was the nicest, most courteous, uh, uh, well spoken guy. I was. I just had a quick hallway conversation with him about education, actually. Because, uh, because obviously, as a Harvard educator himself, and and I have a, an education background, and he was talking about disruptive innovation with a bunch of, you know, high power VC kind of types, which wasn't me. But I pulled him aside in the hallway. And I said, "Where, you know, where's his head for education?" And he said, "I'm, I'm not." He said, "I'm actually concerned about uh, higher education as a, as a, as a ripe for disruption, and it's not going to look the same way." it looks and i i do feel like i i do feel like it's a little later but we're starting to to see that now i I think colleges and universities are going to get seriously hammered and have to reinvent themselves especially coming out of the pandemic i mean look at your harvard experience right you're able to do that all virtually um it, where it's not about ivy and walking, you know, it's not about the ivy uh, on the walls and 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 walking in the courtyard at Harvard, but you're still getting the you know the 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 benefit of it uh, of the education there. And it's huh. so exciting, actually, because they have what is called the wall. It's that virtual wall that's uh, in front of the professor, and mm-hmm. it's like to raise your hand, you're, you're pressing a button, kind of like Zoom a little bit, but you're pressing the button and then the big white button comes all over your face. It's like on these big square tiles wow. and it's state of the art, it's world-class. They have a world-class production team that's behind the scenes, over a yeah. hundred microphones in a room. I mean, it's almost, it's the next best thing to being there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think we'll see more of, do you think we'll see more of that? Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Uh, style of virtual is that is that going to be accessible to enough institutions to start to to balance out virtual and physical uh, education that way? I think the shift has the momentum has already started. The shift has already occurred. I think life has redefined um, what's important, and what's important is the information, regardless of where you are in location. Mm-hmm. How do you consume? that information and being able to have the experience virtual now empowers more people right around the world to connect people that may not have been able to travel regardless if it was a a pandemic or not. And so now it has allowed us to be more connected Mm -hmm. to each other's experiences. So yeah, I think definitely it's going to increase and increase the ways that we connect on these virtual whiteboards, um, how we communicate, how we think all of that is shifting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we'll, we'll, which brings us full circle back to, 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 to dragging one of the oldest digital channels, email along for the ride. Um, I mean, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly popular. It's almost a cliche to, to, to see an art an article by, usually by someone who has something to sell 
<laughs> to say, yada, 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 email's dead. It's going to be oh replaced my by with, with X, which is what his his or her company uh, has to sell. <laughs> it's not going to die. Let's be it. Let's not be that is such a, why, that is amazing that that myth has been around so long. We rely on email. What is it? 81% of us, according to Forrester's research, rely, email is the preferred channel. Yeah. So it's your footprint for yeah. everything that you do. So yeah. how is it, how would it go away? So you don't think text, uh, let's have fun. You don't think text messaging is going to, going to supplant email? <laughs> no, I think no. it is a channel. I think it is a channel for growth and communications, of course. But no, email email is here to stay. That's my prediction. Now, what I will share with you as well, this is a pre-release. We're going to launch this particular product at the end of Q2, mm-hmm. and it's for video and text messaging. So cool. what would happen yeah. is, so for corporations or whatnot that want to, not necessarily corporations, it could be organizations, but basically you would send out the text message. The video would play on demand mm-hmm. in the text message mm-hmm. on mute, mm-hmm. and it would deliver at 15 kilobytes in size with no downloads required. So now for any type messaging that needs to be sent out regarding any aspect of a business, now that feature will also be included from email in text messaging. Nice. Nice. I, uh, I agree with you uh, about text. Like it's another, it's another, um, you know, it's another channel and we don't treat it the same way that no, we, we treat email, right? So it's, uh, it's more, it's a high priority interrupt, but um, much more narrow range of people that we're willing to hear from. And I, and I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair generalization. When I get the odd text message from a company or someone I don't know, it really, really ticks me off. I'm like, bozo, <laughs> right? Bozo filter, no. How did you get this number? You know, uh, it, yeah. that's even more of a permission inbox, if you will. The other thing I'd say about texting, well, two things. One, text text, and, and messaging, g- generically speaking, um, is balkanized as heck, Right. When you say messaging, you're really talking about messaging's plural, right? Which platform? This proprietary platform, that proprietary platform, the other proprietary platform. Google made a run at uh, getting RCS uh, richer, you know, a richer, uh, call it like the Apple, the Apple messages experience. They made a run at trying to standardize and get companies and carriers on board. It flopped. Uh, and they kind of gave up on that a couple of years ago. So absent a universal standard, we're talking about a bunch of balkanized platforms. There's no way it's going to serve the ubiquitous level playing field function that email does. Exactly. I still see it happening. So, um, and the other thing is if I got as many flipping messages on my, you know, uh, uh, text messaging platform as I did an email, I'd have to make it look and act like email, sort, organize, save, et cetera. And we're right back where we started from. Exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> you know, um, I'm thinking in the midst of us talking here, you, you know, my story of when I fell in love with email, I would just love briefly just to hear your story. What was your first introduction to, to email or when did you fall in love with email or are you in love with email? I don't know. What's your, huh. what's your thing of fame here? Well, uh, I actually, I go way farther back with email than most of the people in email. Um, I started the email support organization at Microsoft in 1990. Wow. Uh, yeah, I learned when, something new. When, when, when we're, we're not talking about internet email and SMTP, right? This is, uh-huh. 
the early land period. Um, yeah. So, uh, Novell Netware. I mean, uh-huh. these are historical terms for most. I remember. Of them. Like, what are you talking about? Right. This is <laughs> this is Netware and Land Manager and 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 Max and the uh, proprietary um, Apple Network. Yeah, Microsoft had a toe in corporate email, um, and we sort of saw the wave coming. So a, a, a band of a band of guys in the tech support organization said w- we need to carve out a separate support team for this because it's really a very different, you know, technology and, and role in the business than things like Word and Excel. Um, so I go a long ways back technically um, with email and I stayed away from it and did a lot of other things in the intervening 30 years. And then I was, as, as I was uh, looking at the things that in- intrigued me, visual communications, media, and a, and a firm conviction that that we're in a very big shift from print to media. Um, it's like, you know what? We're underutilizing what email can do. Why is email still so text-centric when architecturally there are pieces there capable of doing other things? Okay, let's take a, let's take a run at it. So I sort of came back to email after close to close to a quarter century away from it. And said, "Let's uh, let's make a dent in that if we can." Um, so yeah, long ways back. I was uh, there were debates about X four hundred versus SMTP. That's how long I've been around email, and none of the, none of that's material now, because we adopted a we adopted a relatively simple but incredibly robust global standard. Like it's actually kind of fascinating how how email, as relatively straightforward as it is technically, mm-hmm. has scaled to deliver what it delivers now. There's 300 billion email messages sent a day. That's a big number, <laughs> right? And nobody owns that. That's special. I love that, right? Almost every other digital channel has been monopolized, has a gatekeeper, right? Yeah. Social media, gatekeepers. Uh, web, I'm sorry, but the web got hosed. Um your website may be technically accessible to everybody, but you're going to invest more in SEO than you did in building this, the website in the first place. So that's gotten monopolized as well. Email manages to have steered clear of that somehow, which I that that's actually the thing I love about it is that it's like the last free range Mustang, <laughs> right? As they're putting a barbed wire everywhere else, uh, email's like, not nah. market structure tells you everything. You can't name a dominant email company. Even even Mailchimp isn't that big, and Congress does not haul email CEOs up to talk about whether they they've stopped people from communicating or whether they're monopolizing the you know the public square, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's Wait, it's what? it's managed to remain relatively free, and I like that. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's cool. A game show uh, with Webula the other the other week, and one of the questions was, "What was the very first uh, um, email company that you used? Which one? Where did you get your email address? Or which one is the oldest one?" And so that was so interesting because all three of us, as the experts, um, had three different versions, three different answers. So one was, "Is it AOL? You've got yeah. mail, yeah. or Gmail was mm-hmm. first. Or was it Hotmail? Sorry, dudes. CompuServe and Genie. I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> I, 
True story. I, I, I got the opportunity. It's early in my Microsoft uh, time at Microsoft. I got the opportunity to go uh, work at the Australian subsidiary for a year, a long ways away, right? Um, and, and this was not internet everywhere. This was not even AOL everywhere. And I, I jury-rigged a backdoor through Microsoft's corporate network because they had a corporate network running from Australia to the U.S. I jury-rigged a way to jump through the corporate network, hop off on the early, early internet so that I could email my girlfriend, now wife, um, <laughs> and stay in touch with her without spending a bazillion dollars on the overseas calls. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> But we've all impressive. We've always wanted, like, we've always wanted to stay, uh, you know, con- connected. We've always found, tried to find a way to get the message through, and and now it's global and it's universal and it's essentially free, which is like that's pretty darn cool. That is cool. And we don't have to pay a gatekeeper you know, like that. What's cool is you were able to bypass the system to connect with your girlfriend, who's now your wife. I mean, you were committed to the journey on that. 27 years, baby. You betcha. I love it. <laughs> and, and, and some of the technical standards that were, you know, that were in operation then we're still using now, which is pretty fascinating to me. It's pretty robust, uh, pretty robust thing. Yeah, definitely. Do you think, I'm, I'm curious, cause I mean, you've got, you've got the expertise in the space and you've, you've, you've helped enrich the platform so much. We're starting to see, uh, we're starting to see the, the monopolist, this is a predictable historical uh, pattern. The the guys who are successful on the frontier end up wanting laws to preserve their empires. This is a short version of a great book by uh, Deborah Spar from Harvard. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's in front of Congress saying, "Oh no, no, we need to we need to revise Section 230." Um, and what he's really saying is, "I want to keep Facebook in its wonderful monopoly position," but we're starting to clamp down on data and privacy, we're starting to realize that one of the things that's gotten injured as we rush out into the digital frontier is our own sense of self and control and our, and, and our own ownership of all the details that make us us. And, and you've got companies like Apple that are taking one response to it to say, you're right, privacy important, you know, respect the customer, keep that locked down. You've got regulatory responses, Europe in particular, kind of leading the way and saying, People have ownership over information about themselves. Are we going to see a shift back to email, which has not been as, I would argue, invasive and has not uh, monetized our data and privacy in the way some of those other channels have? I think that email has been able over the decades to maintain this whole uniqueness about it, the whole mystery of being, like you mentioned, the free range. And my hope is for it to continue back where it's not monitored as much. That's just my personal thought about it. I just think that it should remain unique as it is and and just have the current policies that we have in place. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of mixed on the thought about that. What was your thought, though? Your thought was... Well, here, here's a way. Here's a way to bring it into focus because I'm, I'm, I, I know we've had to grapple with sort of policy decisions. Uh, we being campaign genius, mm-hmm. um, and I'm guessing you have as well. Um, with campaign genius, when we're delivering real time content, whether that's images or links or animation or whatever else, okay, there's actually the potential to get a lot of data about the recipient. 
Um, and we made a decision fairly early on. I was kind of a pain in the butt about it, to be honest. I said, you know what? We're not in the business of accumulating information about people at the other end of the pipe. We're delivering the experience. So our policy is delete it. Deliver the whatever it is, set of pixels that they're after mm-hmm. and delete everything possible about them. Why? About the data. Right? Because it's, 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 it's not our cotton picking business. It's true. We We're into the experience, the customer experience. Yeah. No, I yeah. totally agree with and you. And you, you must have to grapple with that as well, right? When you're, when you're delivering a 15K video experience in, 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 in practical, technical terms, there's information coming to you that you could hang on to, do you? Well, in our case, what happens is when we receive the video from the client and we encode and compress it, we deliver back that snippet HTML back to the customer and they're loading it oh, into their email system. Their email so system. We built email agnostic so that it performs within any ESP. So we're not okay. receiving any personal information from okay. the client. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now I understand technically where you sit and 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 how you how you integrate um, into their systems as well okay yeah right. so we're, uh, slight slight difference like we had to build a sort of specialized infrastructure to do the real-time delivery so it'll fit into an esp uh, but we're, we've still got to be the delivery mechanism because the handling of all of the request protocols is frankly that's esps don't do that mm-hmm. um but that's where we said policy decision ethics decision if you will right so, you know what we could hang on to all of that but that that's not why people are going to look or pay attention. That's not what the uh, customer's paying for. So exactly. bugger it, delete it. Um, right, totally. Yeah, and and you know you've got the you've got the spam contingent of email, which has probably damaged the reputation of email as as uh, a more of a respecter of privacy. But honestly, I look at I look at the way email functions. Three hundred billion messages a day. And yeah. a lot of that is self-policing by the industry, which I think is pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. Wow. Like uh, There are a bunch of people who actually take this stuff seriously in a, in a really positive, uh, you know, good of all kind of way, which I think is laudable. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, it, it's profound, really, when we uh, think about all of the nuances of email and, and what it delivers currently and what it delivers forward. One thing remains constant is that we're all looking for a way to connect with others. We're mm-hmm. all looking for a, a way to plug in, to engage. And e- I mean, email is just that perfect channel for that. Of course, we know that <clears throat> the average person receives, what is it, uh, 140 emails a day, and we send out at least 40, at least. Um, and so it's a matter of <laughs> going forward, how do we stand out from that clutter of the 73% yes. of messages that are still unread, yes, <laughs> unread yeah. in the inbox. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. How do you know? How, how do you how do you actually get that engagement and attention? You, uh, talk about your talk about your 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 customer base for a second. You mentioned some some you know some really marquee uh, brands already. You know, Porsche, Coca Cola, etc. Um, what kind of companies um, are most likely to really grasp the benefit of what you're bringing to the market? That's a wonderful question. And the answer to that is companies that are market leaders, that are early adopters. Mm -hmm. Um, When Coca-Cola came on board or when Time Warner came on board, they were all seeking to deliver 
various types of communication. So we have three areas of support. One is customer facing communications directly mm-hmm. to the customer. It could be product marketing, uh, updates, things of that magnitude. But then also on the event side, before it was, you know, live events, maybe it's a welcome message from the president welcoming people to an event. But now it's on the virtual side of that, mm-hmm. of a welcome message or a sponsor message and a thank you message and or survey. Mm -hmm. On the employee engagement side, it could be anything from training to HR, executive communications. And now with more people going back in the office, it could be the the safety and health regulations of going back. Um, So for our customer base, they go across those three broad spectrums. And so for like, let's say Major League Baseball, that's Mm -hmm. focused on increasing ticket sales. That was before the pandemic, of course, as well in that aspect. With Delta Airlines, which is one of our premier um, clients. It's related to their communications, Mm -hmm. both internally, um, externally, and also for their events. For Porsche, it's for sales, um, test drive for vehicles, as well as their events as well. So we've seen an array. And what's so exciting about email and this whole email experience is that we've touched so many different type organizations, even from healthcare, from um, Merck, and also I was going to say Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's another one of our clients um, because, again, it goes back to how do you communicate? How can you you leverage email Mm -hmm. um, to deliver your compelling message? And so video is definitely the way to go. And Mm -hmm. it's been said, according to HubSpot, uh, viewers retain 95% when watching a video yeah. as opposed to 10% in text. Yeah. So it's yeah. just the right season and alignment for all these things forward yeah. uh, in engagement. And we appreciate our customer base and their willingness to take a chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to take a to take a chance on us to know that we will deliver. And by proving that model out, we've been able to uh, receive referrals from the enterprise to other mm-hmm. brands. And so it's just been an, an exciting journey, to be honest. I'm intrigued by something you mentioned. Did did I just hear you say that some of your customers have used iMail for what I'd call internal communications, communication to employees? Absolutely. Fascinating. I love that. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and that's where we're also able to, to, to drive the, the numbers up. I mean, we're all trying to get those eyeballs to watch our communication. So uh, on internal, we've been successful as well in driving. Mm-hmm. We've seen numbers upwards of 70%. I, I should mm-hmm. mention one key point. When I mentioned open rates and we're able to drive those numbers and the uplift significantly, that's mm-hmm. also based because someone will say, people will say, well, how are you able to drive open rates? You know, a person has to decide to open it or not. But what happens in the IML experience, 50% of us have a reading pane, you know, or a preview pane that's already open. And so IML is set when you're previewing, it's going to play on mute automatically when you're scrolling through your messages. So that's counting towards your open rates as well. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and it's a legit difference in engagement. My, 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 my quip about, um, Video and to a lesser extent animation, but video in particular is mm-hmm. we're 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 wired to to detect motion and to make it a priority. Why? Because we don't get it. Didn't want to get it eaten by saber toothed tigers. At least our ancestors didn't, right? So it's really hard to ignore something <laughs> that's moving. You actually can't. Your brain's going to go whoop focus, right? Your picture move. The only thing moving on the screen here. It's hard for me to look. <laughs> at the camera instead of you. I'd rather look at you anyway, but right. Like it, there's motion, there's emotion. It's so true. It's so true. You know, um, 
in one of my courses this semester, there's a professor, John Westman. He's in uh, Massachusetts. And, and, and he mentioned to me about this movement piece, about that it's innate in us to look to see, is it a threat or is it something friendly? Our eyes will naturally migrate. He always used the reference of this movie called um, Up. I never did see Up yet, but it's an animated oh. movie. You've seen it? Oh, no. my God. If you, don't, if you don't have tears in your eyes, in the first 12 minutes of Up, um, dinner's on me. You've got to watch oh, Up. Oh, what a fantastic film. I have to watch it. He talks about this movie. And then when they saw a squirrel or something, everybody's like, squirrel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I will make it a point to go watch oh, Up yeah, this yeah. week. And Professor oh. Westman will be yeah, happy you, that I've seen drop, that movie. You drop, you drop, you drop my, my, my son Hunter said, you know, if if you don't if you don't if you don't end up tearing up in the first fifteen minutes of up, I just don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, t- drop me a note. I'd be very curious to hear what you. I will. I will definitely do that. It's Pixar. It's Pixar at its uh, at its at its <laughs> finest. Um, there's another piece of the brain that actually matters, and I'm, I imagine you've exploited this for your you know for your customers' benefit. But there's actually a part of the human brain that that is specifically wired to see eyes. Like there's actually eyes, E-Y-E-S. There is part of our brain that actually detects that double spot on the face where the other, where that other organism is seeing. It's actually wired into, into synapses in, in the brain. Like if you notice when you're, if you notice when you take an object and you're animating it, the first thing someone does and it's completely unconscious, is put eyes, usually eyes and a mouth on it. But it's because as soon as you stick eyes on something, part of our brain is going, that's that's another living thing. Snap, just like that. Like, it's very hard not to look at your eyes on this video screen here. And in part, it's because my brain has wiring that says, oops, there's eyes. And you notice how distracting your own picture is on Zoom? Same. I tend not to look at my own picture. I look at the... Look at you in the camera. Yeah, no, I try not to as well, but but we're wired to go seek that pattern, right? We'll we'll look for that, but it's right. literally it's literally um, built into our biology. It's not Amazing. just psychology. Yeah, yeah, fascinating, huh? Mm-hmm. It is. It really yeah. is, and that's why it's so important to have the messaging, the key messaging above the fold. Above line, the fold, yeah, right? yeah, and the and the visual and the motion above the fold and the face. Exactly. You can get a face. You get that above the fold. I'll bet your upward rate goes up even higher because we can't not look at it. Exactly. We actually process that. That's actually pre-conscious. We process that. Not not a great metaphor, but we're stuck with it. We process the visual before we get to the cognitive. The eye actually makes pattern out of what's seen before anything goes to the brain. That's amazing. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is not all... We're not talking style points and, gee, maybe this is more effective than that. We're literally talking about fundamentals of how we're built that, that, that aren't going to go away. So email is going to continue to uh, go up in the rankings, baby. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, and I told you we'd go more than half an hour. Yay. You did. <laughs> before we wrap up, if uh, you know, we've got a, a lot of people um, – who, who seem to be listening to this podcast are running a business of some sort. Their interests tend to be marketing, if nothing else. What's uh, what's your advice for the marketer 
out there, not just in terms of email, but in terms of, 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 of email and its role in their marketing? Uh, for any marketer that's out there that's trying to um, create more engagement for their customers, I would say listen to your customers, uh, interview your customers to nice. understand what's important to them. Nice. Um, because that's the core focus. We're here to serve. And we need to remember that it's about them and not us and to gear that messaging around their core needs mm-hmm. in the service. So I think that's fundamental. I, I would also say continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to go to conferences on all things email, be it deliverability, be it um, the visual content, learning more about video and email, all aspects of email. I would recommend that as well. Nice. Just to to keep it, I mean, just the growth factor of being mindful of the length of the message. Shorter is better in the message of being concise in the communication and and just being thoughtful and empathetic. I think that human element is truly the key in in wanting to be of service and always put that first. Yeah, not don't don't just blast them. Well, that that is a heck of a wrap up. Lisa, I want to chat with you right quick, but let me hit pause on the record button and we'll say we're done. My guest again today was Lisa S. Jones, CEO, Chief Email Officer at Email Incorporated. Lisa, thanks so much. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We're out. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to The Future of Email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash future of email or Follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.